This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Welcome back to Solid Foundation Ministries. We serve a great God, a God that has given us everything we need to live for Him and to live righteous lives. In Second Peter chapter 1, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. This passage tells us that He's given us everything we need. This morning, I want to talk about some things that He's given us, some warnings, five warnings, as a matter of fact, that we seem not to be paying attention to today. In this passage of Scripture, Peter wishes grace and peace upon those who read his epistle. Both of these come through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has called us to glory and virtue. It tells us that He has given us all that we need to live godly lives. Godliness only comes through knowledge, and knowledge comes through knowing the Scriptures. If we don't know the Scriptures, how can we know God and how can we know our Lord? One of the things that God has given us to protect us in this, in this world as we try and live for Him are warnings. And today, I want to look at five warnings which seem to be ignored by most who call themselves Christians today. First of all, God has warned us that not all who call themselves Christians really are Christians. There are many of them who are false conversions, have false professions, and don't even understand what it's all about. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Today, our definition of the word Christian is different from what it was in the Scriptures. In the Scriptures, it takes two things to be a true Christian. Of course, salvation is the first of them. It has to come first. You can't be a Christian without being saved. But that doesn't mean that everybody who is truly saved is really a Christian, because there's the second principle. The Bible tells us that the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch, not the believers. You can be a true believer and yet still not be actively serving God. And if you're not following your master, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't properly call yourself a disciple. In this passage that we're looking at in Matthew chapter 7, we see that they're trying to do the second, that is be a disciple, without first having become uh, born again and true believers in Jesus Christ. They're trying to be saved through their discipleship instead of being disciples because they have been saved. It would seem from this passage of Scripture that they had done a lot in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that they prophesied in His name. That means they'd preached. They'd cast out devils in His name. Uh, they had done many wonderful works. And Jesus still told them, I never knew you. He doesn't say, I knew you, and then you backslid, and I know you no more. He says, I never knew you. That means they never came to Christ for salvation. They just started doing the things that they thought were Christians. There are so many people in our world today that are doing this exact same thing. 
It says, in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven, we must do the will of the Father which is in heaven. And what does this mean? We find the answer in John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. Then said he unto them, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him who he hath sent. You know, the Bible says we can do all things through Christ which strengthen us. But we must understand this. There is only one thing that can empower us to do the works of God, and that is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, to be truly born again, to have that spiritual birth which gives us spiritual power. Without that, we cannot uh, do the works of God. The will of God is, first of all, that we come to Christ for salvation, Then once we're saved, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it tells us what his will is for Christians, and that is that we might uh, work good works which he hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We must understand that there is a belief unto salvation, and that there is also a belief that does not save. To believe unto salvation means more than simply acknowledging that something is, is true. It means to trust, to put our confidence in that which is believed. In Matthew chapter 7, the people used their works to justify being saved. They were trusting in what they did rather than their faith in Christ. A person who does the will of the Father trusts Christ, not his own works, for salvation. Matthew 7 warns us that there will be many religious people who are not saved. They will be doing all kind of religious activities, and they will even be doing it in the name of Christ, but they're truly not saved. Many of our churches are filled with this kind of people today. It greatly weakens our testimony and our efforts to reach the lost. We need to heed this warning and examine those who want to join us by the Scriptures. We also need to examine those who are already among us, and if necessary, we need church discipline. The Bible clearly teaches that those who are not following Christ's principles, whether they're saved or not, are to be put out of the church if they won't repent and correct their uh, way of living. This was the whole purpose of the first epistle that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. It was to get them to clean up their act, to get rid of those who were in the church but not living for Christ. The second warning that God has given us is about false prophets and false teachers. In Matthew 7 again, in verses 15 and 16, it says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? This is just one of the many passages that warn us on the subject of false teachers. This is probably the most common warning that we find in the New Testament. We have just seen an example of how blind supposed Christians are. During the Pope's visit, it was almost impossible to get any news on any other subject. Everything was about the Pope and his visit to America. Everyone was heaping praise upon him, including those who should know better. Last week I talked about the false doctrine of salvation that is taught by the Catholic Church, and the Pope is the head of this and promotes this false doctrine on salvation. Even Baptist leaders heap praise upon him. They should have known better. Last week again I mentioned Mike Huckabee and the things that he said. 
but also Dr. Robert Jeffress, the pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, and a leader in the religious right, who is a guest on many conservative TV and radio programs, also praised the Pope. He said, the Pope is a humble servant of Christ. I can assure you that the Pope is neither humble, nor is he a servant of Christ. If he's teaching a false salvation, which he is, his whole church teaches it, then you cannot call him a servant of Christ. As far as humility, you just take a look at the Bible. Look at the servants of God when people came to them and bowed down to them and see how they reacted. They would not accept them bowing down before them, nor would they have them kiss their rings or anything like that. The Pope is anything but humble. In truth, though, the Pope is the least of our worries in biblical circles today. There are thousands of preachers today who are telling people the wrong things and leading them astray. Most of the megachurches are big because they will not preach against sin. They only preach positive stuff and only what their people want to hear. One of the major characteristics of false teachers is that they make everything sound so good. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 5 it says, For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. This passage is telling us that as the apostles went out and, and preached the gospel, they didn't use flattering words. They didn't try and lift the people up and make them feel good. They told them the truth. They didn't hide their covetousness under these fancy words that made them sound so spiritual. We see so much of this today. There are two things we need to learn here, that there are those out there who are using flattering words and they're using them to get personal gain that's what this covetousness is all about their motive is what they can get for themselves in second peter chapter 2 and verse 18 it says for when they speak great swelling words of vanity they allure through the lusts of the flesh through much wantonness those who were clean escaped from them who live in error there's a lot more in this verse that I want to cover today. I just want us to get a couple of things. First of all, it says that they use great swelling words of vanity. These are words that are fancy, that sound good, that make people feel good. Then they draw people by the lust of the flesh. Again, that which feels good. The lust of the flesh, oftentimes we think of sexual perversion and things like that, and of course that would be included, but also just feeling good. Wantonness means to be free of restraint, to do what you want, to do your own thing. And if you look at our churches today and members of churches, you'll see how true it is that today that it, it describes very well what we see. How do these false teachers get away with this? Well, Paul gives us the answer in Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. This time is upon us right now. I deal with those who will not endure sound doctrine on a regular basis. I know it's out there. I know how common it is. People seek teachers who will scratch their itching ears. They are being turned to fables, to things that just aren't so. We need to be warning our people of these false teachers and warning them by name and specifically teaching what they are teaching that is false. To do any less 
a preacher would be lax in his duty and not doing what God has called him to do. This next warning that we have from God is closely related to the one we just looked at. It's the warning against false doctrine. This, like I say, goes along with the false teachers. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. False doctrine comes from the devil and his imps. We can properly call them doctrines of devils, and we can properly call them seducing spirits, that is, spirits that are out there trying to seduce us and draw us away from the simplicity and the truth that is in Christ. Let me give you an example of a seducing spirit. A number of years ago, we were visiting one of our church members in the hospital, and there was this Pentecostal couple that came in, and they were there to try and pray for his healing. While they were there, I asked them about their salvation, and here's the story they told us. Now, I'm going to abbreviate it a little bit, but the essence is all there. They said they were on their way to this big Pentecostal meeting somewhere, I believe it was in Arizona, and they came up over the top of the mountain. As they looked over the mountain, they felt this warm feeling come up from their feet, and that was their salvation. Let me ask you, what's warm and what's down? It isn't heaven, and that's not a good testimony of salvation but that's one of the doctrines of devils whatever you feel like people are saying i'm saved because i feel like i'm saved not because they have a biblical reason for it do you have a biblical basis upon which to base your salvation if you don't you need to find one and make sure that you're truly saved much of what is taught today about salvation is filled with air and much is added to the simplicity of salvation by grace through faith without works in Second uh, Timothy 4.3, which we've already looked at, but let me read it again. It says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. As I said before, the time is already upon us. Sound doctrine is hard to find. Everyone is seeking teachers that say what they want them to say. The enemies of God can only be defeated by sound doctrine. Listen to what Paul told the young preacher Titus in Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. He says, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Now this passage is part of the qualifications of being a pastor. A gainsayer is someone who speaks out against something. If you have an idea and people start poo-pooing it and say, no, 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 and giving reasons why not to accept it, they're called gainsayers. Well, in this case, we're talking about gainsayers who speak out against God, who speak against God's principles. The only way they can be one is through sound doctrine. If we just uh, ignore them or if we kind of coddle them a little bit and say, well, you know, it's not that bad, we're not going to win them. As I've said many times, we need to stop getting our doctrine from theology books and commentaries. We need to get our doctrine from the infallible, inerrant scriptures, the Word of God. The only thing that we have that is inerrant, that we can trust, that is absolutely true. Preachers need to pass this warning on to the people so they won't be drawn astray. The next warning that we have is the warning against heresies. God has given us this warning, and it may seem like it's the same thing as false doctrine, but it isn't. It actually goes deeper than that. 
In Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, But there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. The Greek word translated heresies here means a choice. It comes from a word meaning to take for oneself. It means to choose to depart from the truth and to follow after one's own thoughts. Notice that these heresies are damnable. This means they will damn or destroy the souls of those who follow them. The result of these damnable heresies is that the way of truth will be evil spoken of. We see this all around us today. Doctrinal confusion, that is, people teaching all kinds of different things and saying that it comes from the Bible, has the world laughing at Christianity. Everyone is saying something different, and how could it all come from the same book? Many of the things that are said actually oppose one another. If the Bible is that unclear, why should a lost person pay any attention to it? The purpose of those bringing in damnable heresies is to make merchandise of the people. This means they are there to gain something personal from it. Just look at the big mega churches and all the money that they have and the money that the pastors of those churches and the workers make. Look at the TV ministries that are spouting all of this easy believism and all of this uh, health and wealth and all these types of things. Just look at how wealthy they are. They're taking advantage of these people for their own wealth and that's what merchandising is all about when you merchandise a product you're trying to sell it so that you might make money another thought on this idea of heresies is found in titus chapter 3 verses 10 and 11 it says a man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself Although the battle against heresy is a battle that can never end, the battle against individual heretics is not. We're supposed to warn them, try and correct them once or twice. But if they refuse to be corrected, we are simply to reject them. We are to leave them to their own ways. If you read Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, you'll see that God will give them over to a reprobate mind if they refuse to be corrected, and they will go on incapable of correcting themselves and changing and getting back with God. Sometimes, for some people, their chances do run out. That word subverted means perverted, and uh, the heretic is already perverted by his own teachings, and he is condemned of himself. The only way to spot a heretic is to know the scriptures. Preachers need to expose the heretics for what they are. In Second. Uh, Corinthians chapter 11 verses 13 and 14 it says for such are false apostles deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light these heretics are false deceitful and tell you that they are apostles or ministers or messengers of Christ Now the heretics go further than just teaching false doctrine in our churches. They are the ones that actually get 
cults started. Mormonism is an example of that. Jehovah Witnesses are an example of that, as is Islam, for that matter, and all of the false religions out there that come in some way or another from Christianity are started by these heretics. It should not surprise us that these people disguise themselves as workers of righteousness because Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. As pastors and as stronger and more mature Christians, we need to warn people of these heretics because it is dangerous for uh, the weaker Christians and for the lost people. It could affect their eternal destiny. The final warning that God gives us is the warning against apostasy in the last days. Apostasy comes because of the things we've seen before. The last warning I want to look at is the warning against apostasy in the last days. There will be a falling away as we approach the return of Christ. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. There are many who are teaching today that we're going to usher in righteousness, Christianity is going to control the world, and that uh, uh, then Christ is coming back. That's not what it says right here. It says, let no man deceive you. There's going to be a falling away first, that is apostasy. Apostasy is the falling away from the truth. The closer we get to Christ's return, the more apostasy we should expect. And if you look around today, there's an awful lot of things out there that are done in the name of Christ that are really apostate. The man of sin, the son of perdition, cannot come until there is a sufficient departure from the truth to mask his lies. People who know the truth will not be fooled by what he has to say. At the expense of being redundant, let's look at Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 again. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. In the end time, sound doctrine will not be accepted. It will be rejected by most who call themselves Christians. If you doubt this, just try saying that there is only one way to heaven, and in Christendom there are many ways being presented. Tell people that only one of them can possibly be correct and see what happens. You will find out just how much sound doctrine is received today. People don't want to hear the truth. They just want to hear what they want to hear. It talks about lusts, and lust means a strong desire for something. What people want to hear is more important than truth is today. Preachers are giving the people what they want what they lust after. They're telling them what makes them feel good and what they want to hear instead of telling them the truth. Usually the things that people lust after are a departure from the teachings of Scripture. For example, you don't hear much about divorce in most churches today because too many Christians are divorced and preachers don't want to offend them. If a person is truly a Christian and divorced and remarried, they should know the dangers and the problems that come with it, and they should want others to be warned against it. But people aren't warning for the simple reason that it offends people. We need to get back to standing on the Word of God if we're going to stop the increase of apostasy in our day. One thing that I've noticed as I've visited many churches, if there's very little doctrine being taught, 
There's a lot of teaching verse by verse, and I'm not criticizing that, but they're not teaching doctrine. They're not teaching all that there is to know on a given doctrine and making the people understand because of what the scriptures say what sound doctrine really is. And if you don't teach doctrine, you can expect apostasy. These five warnings all have to do with the departure from the clear teachings of scripture by those who claim to be Christians. The reason we have so many false converts is because we have watered down our presentation of the gospel. I didn't say we watered down the gospel. I said we've watered down the presentation of the gospel. We may still teach that we are saved by grace through faith without works, but we no longer emphasize God's hatred of sin and his judgment. We're too busy telling people how much God loves them that we forget to tell them that that God hates sin and he must punish sin and that if they don't repent that they're on their way to hell. We'll say that in a superficial manner, but we don't emphasize it like those in the scriptures did when they brought people to Christ. We tell people that God loves us so much that if we simply tell him we're sorry and profess faith in Christ, he will forgive us. Let me tell you something, folks. Professing faith in Christ is not the same thing as having or exercising faith in Christ. We're telling people today that if you'll just pray this prayer and really mean it, you'll go to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. True biblical faith actually changes people. Let's not forget verses like we find in Second Corinthians that say that if we're in Christ, we're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There's a change in the life of, of, of a truly born-again Christian. A proper presentation of the gospel should bring a desire to turn from all sin. When a person is first saved, they will not know what that is. But as they study the scriptures, as, as they sit under the preaching of the word of God, God will reveal the sin that's in their lives and they will do everything they can to reject it if they're truly saved. If a person can practice sin without conviction and repentance, his salvation should be questioned. We should check into it and see if his salvation is real. A truly saved person cannot uh, have the Holy Spirit living in him and live in sin and be comfortable with it. The reason that it is so easy for false teachers and false doctrine to creep into our churches is because we have been so sloppy in our soul winning efforts and in our keeping our churches pure that our churches are filled with people who are the who are professing Christ but who are not truly born again. They don't have the Holy Spirit living within them and it opens the door for these people to come in and say things that sound good with their great swelling words and be fooled and eventually they become the ones who control the churches because we get so many of them and that's what's happening. That's why our churches are in such shambles today. If we allow these things to enter our churches or if we don't condemn these things when we see them outside of our churches, apostasy is inevitable. It will come. There's no way to stop it. If you are a preacher, make sure that you are passing these warnings on to your people. If you are a Christian in a church where these warnings are being heeded, where the pastor is warning you you of these false teachings and what's going on out there, then you need to go to your pastor and thank him for being that kind of a pastor, for being brave enough to go against the flow, to stand up for what's right. You need to let him know how much you appreciate his faithfulness to God's uh, word. This will help him to be even more faithful. It will strengthen him and it will strengthen your church. 
If you are a Christian in a church that does not warn of these dangers, you need to talk to your pastor. You need to encourage him to start warning of the dangers around us. You need to let him know that you will stand behind him even if all others turn against him, if he will be faithful to the word of God. This will encourage him to start doing what he should do. If it doesn't, then you're in trouble, and in that case, you should probably seek another church. This nation is falling, our families are failing, and our churches are having many problems simply because we will not stand on the word of God. Until we heed these warnings, there's no hope for us. There's no hope for our families. Our families will continue to be in shambles. There's no hope for our churches. Our churches will continue to slide further and further away from the church. They will become more entertainment centers like we see so many of them becoming today. They will not stand on sound doctrine. They will not warn of the dangers. They will be actually setting things up for the one world religion that's going to be there during the tribulation period. But if we will stand for these things, we can possibly even turn this nation around. It's not too late if God is convinced that we really want revival in this country. If we keep going the way we're going, there's absolutely no reason for God to intervene and stop the slide of our country, our families, our churches, and just the general morality of this uh, nation. We have these warnings about apostasy. We have the warnings about, about false teachers and false doctrine and false professors and all of these things. It's time that we as Christians get back to the Word of God, start standing on the Word of God, get away from theology books and commentaries, see what God has to say on the subject, and then stand for it no matter what the cost. Are you willing to go to jail for what you believe? That's a question you need to answer. The warnings are there. We need to heed them. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.